Well, it's good to be with you again. I've really enjoyed uh, these weeks. Uh, appreciate the offer of having so many questions. People ask me all the time, do I know on the radio what questions are coming? And the answer is no. They, I take them cold for the most part. Uh, and, uh, but that doesn't matter because really what they, they write them on a screen and they get sent right to my house. Uh, I'm in the studio and it gets sent to my house. My wife looks at the questions in advance and she texts me the answers. <laughs> so I just sit there with my phone and I go, oh yeah, I got this one, no problem. So uh, without Eva, I could not answer those questions. So unfortunately I can't. Because Eva's not here today. So, anyway. Uh, my first time when I remember a crisis of, of evil was the assassination of President Kennedy. I had just turned six years old. And I couldn't believe this horror. Now I had heard terrible things had happened in the world before. But I had never been there. This was evil. This young president who... My parents adored, struck down for no apparent reason, and we watched TV nonstop. It just broke my heart. I was only six, and I always wanted to be a superhero, and I remember that night as everyone sat around the TV set, I took a towel and I tied it around my neck, and I flew through the house pretending I was Superman, swooping down and intercepting that bullet. Because I wanted to save the life of the president. My brother, who was 10 years older, saw me doing that. And he came over and he yelled at me. He said, don't you know what a serious day it is? You're playing around like this is a big game. But I wasn't. I was just longing for what could have been. If only there had been a superhero to act in the face of evil. Now, we've discussed evil for the last couple of weeks, sort of on a grand scale, typhoons and why God allows terrible things and towers falling and things like that. But I know that we all encounter evil on a very personal level. It could be a cruel, callous supervisor at work who causes a man in his 50s to lose his job and now he's 52 or 54 and he's got no prospects for another job because of the age and, uh, and, and a bad report and it's, and it's just not fair. And life seems to be just going awful because of it. Or it could be uh, a college student, one that, uh, this is kind of based on a true story, a girl I know who uh, always wanted to be a photographer and a, and a filmmaker and she went to the doctor and He told her that she has a degenerative eye disease and she would be completely blind within five years. And she's like, God, look, what is happening? How could you allow this? And uh, it could be uh, the loss of a loved one, a terrible accident, and uh, a drunk driver and and a death of a loved one. Or it could be uh, like a young single mom who might learn that her, her, uh, she had ovarian cancer. And what is she going to do now if she has a year to live? And all these things just seem so evil. We live in this evil world. How am I going to cope? Uh, How do we face the evil that we encounter in this life? Obviously, 
we do all we can to remedy it. You know, if it's a medical situation, we see a doctor, and we, if it's a psychological or family breakup, we, we see a, uh, a counselor to help. Or uh, whatever we can, we do whatever is humanly possible to help. Nevertheless, ultimately, we turn to God in the face of evil. And Hebrews eleven thirty two through 40 describes people who faced horrible evil and trusted God. Now, the reason this is written is that the book of Hebrews was written by a, an unknown Jewish author to a community of Jewish people who believed in Jesus. And they had begun to encounter evil for their faith. They were being persecuted. And some of them were saying, you know what, this, this isn't what I signed up for. I think I'm just going to go back to what I was before and not believe in Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to them and he exhorts them to hold fast to what matters most, to their faith in Jesus, because he says that the Jewish Messiah is even better than the Jewish religion. You can't just go back to what pointed to you to Jesus in the first place. You need the fulfillment, Jesus. And so he writes to them and he exhorts them to faith, particularly in chapter 11, to keep trusting God, and he uses a whole bunch of Old Testament examples of people who exercise faith in the face of evil. And then he summarizes in verse 32 through 40. So if you have a Bible, you could follow along to Hebrews eleven, thirty-two through 40. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Now, what this passage is talking about is saying that we are called to trust God in the face of, faith, face of evil. We are called to act in faith. We need to trust and obey God no matter how difficult, uncertain, dangerous, or terrible the circumstances that we face. In fact, what this passage is saying is that if we respond to evil with faith, God's power will be released. It will come right through us that if we respond to evil with faith, God's great strength will become demonstrable. Well, how? Three ways according to this passage. Here's the first way God's power will be released. If we trust God in the face of evil we may experience great victories. I mean, God may actually grant us a supernatural triumph. We look at these examples of victory here in this passage. There are these great examples of people 
who were national heroes who had great victories. Now, what most of us don't realize about these national heroes is they were all thoroughly human. They had the same kinds of weaknesses that we do, yet God made them victorious through faith. When I talk about people who are human, it starts off by talking about Gideon. What was Gideon doing? He was so afraid of the Midianites that he was threshing grain in a wine press. Now, you, what you usually do is you thresh grain outside so you can toss the grain up and it takes the chaff away. But he was hiding in a wine press. And the, the angel appears, the angel of the Lord, and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. And you can imagine what Gideon did. You talking to me? He didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. He felt like a cowardly lion. And next he talks about Barak. Barak, who the prophet has told to go defeat the Canaanites. And what did he do? He said, Deborah, come with me. I'm scared. And so she had to go with him. So he had a great victory. But even so, Gideon and Barak did have victories. Samson, he had great victories, but he was, had some issues. He was uh, sensual, immature. Jephthah, he had a great victory, but you know what? He was kind of a rash person, made some rash vows in his life. And yet God used him for a great victory. It talks about David. Now, we think of David as the greatest king of Israel, the model for the future Messiah. But you know what? He had a problem with women. I don't know if you're aware of that. And Samuel? Samuel's a great prophet. But think about Samuel. When he went to anoint David, he looked at all the other brothers and thought, oh, this is the one, this is the one. He looked at external appearances only. And God says to him, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Samuel uh, was a bit superficial, looking only at appearances. And nevertheless, these people had fantastic accomplishments. When they trusted God, these heroes had great triumphs. They conquered kingdoms, it says, like Joshua and David, who were victorious over the Canaanites and the Philistines. They administered justice, like David and Solomon, who established righteous governments. They obtained promises, it says, like Abraham who received the Abrahamic covenant and David who received the Davidic covenant. They shut the mouths of lions like Daniel. When you think about Daniel, we always think of him as a teenager, but he was around 80 years old and he went into that lion's den and God was able to deliver him and shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were in the furnace And Shadrach looks at Meshach and he says, are you on fire yet? And Meshach says, I'm not even warm yet. What's going on? Meanwhile, Abednego is saying, hey, look, there's someone in here with us. Right? That, they quenched the power of fire. They says, it says that they escaped the sword as Elijah and Elisha did and Jeremiah when kings were out to kill them. From weakness, they were given strength, like Samson, who went from completely weak to once again strong. They were mighty in war, like David and Gideon. Women received back their dead, Elijah raising the child of the widow of Zarephath, and Elisha, the Shunammite woman's child. Resurrections from the dead. These are all amazing victories. And here's the principle for us today. God can deliver us today even as he did the heroes of faith then. If we will believe God, if we will trust God, if we will walk in faith with God, sometimes when we face terrible evil, God will intervene and do a great miracle. 
something like this. from the lion's head Sometimes when we face evil, we step out in faith. We have to. And then, we do it not on the basis of some diary, but on the basis of this book. And when we believe it, God can make us into those kinds of heroes of faith, just like we saw in these passages cited from the Old Testament. That can happen for us. God can provide that remarkable financial turnaround. God can restore a broken relationship when we trust him. God can indeed miraculously deliver us from an addiction, from drug or alcohol or other kinds of addictions. God can even heal diseases. Miraculously, he is powerful and supernatural enough that he can do these things. Now, I actually had my first experience when I was a fairly new follower of Jesus, of seeing God do a remarkable thing, thing that, something I couldn't believe. And it, and it really, I wouldn't want to say it was evil, but my dad, when he heard that I had become a follower of Jesus, he wanted me to meet with two rabbis uh, who specialized, and they, they didn't want to do anything evil. They wanted to keep me from believing in Jesus, and that they thought they were doing the right thing. But nevertheless, everyone was afraid that I was going to have my faith destroyed by meeting with these two people. And I couldn't say no, and I went to this meeting, and my dad was there, And honestly, we had prayed so much, my friends who were uh, believers like I in Jesus and my uh, family that believed in Jesus, we had prayed that God would help me. And I went in there kind of frightened, and as I started to speak with them, it was as if God brought back everything I had ever heard about why I believed in Jesus. And I was able to cite verse after verse and show them. And after a while, one of them, I showed Jeremiah 31, and he looked at it where it talks about that God will give Israel a new covenant. And he said, I've never seen that before. At which point my dad said, these people are crazy. (laughs) And he left. Then I spent 
hours talking with these guys. And by the end of our conversation, one of them had actually invited me to his wedding. We had a great time. (laughs) And the truth was, I wasn't capable of that. I was terrified. And yet, I obeyed, I was faithful, I prayed, and shock. I think God does this when you first become a follower of Jesus. It's like, wow, look what God can do. He can give us great victories. And that's really an amazing thing. My warning would be that we trust God regardless of the outcome. We need to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said to the king, you know, we're not going to worship, we're not going to bow down to this image. And our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he does not, and that was a possibility, we still will not bow down. You see, sometimes we think, oh, we're going to trust God and it will just bring a great victory. And that does happen sometimes. But it doesn't happen all the time. A second way that God's power can be released is if we trust God in the face of evil, we may endure great suffering. It's hard for us to think of it that way. But God may grant us the staying power we need, the power to persevere through really serious trouble. That may be the way that God works. You see this in these passages, the examples of suffering. These uh, examples, which refer to both biblical and intertestamental characters who endured terrible evil. You read the verse, and I like how the New American Standard says, right there in the middle of verse 35, And others were tortured. Others were tortured. No, I want to be on the side of those guys that shut the mouths of the lions and quench the power of fire. I I don't want to be tortured. And yet sometimes if we exercise faith in the face of evil, we may have to endure great suffering. Those who were tortured there who didn't accept their release but were looking for a better resurrection is likely an allusion to Hannah and her seven sons from the intertestamental period, not in the Bible, but these heroes of faith were being forced to abandon the God of Israel, demanded that they worship idols, and they wouldn't do it. And each son, one after another, said to the king, you can kill me, but I will not worship idols. And uh, one said, you may cut my arms off, as he did. You can cut my legs off, but I believe in the one who will grant me new arms and new legs. Another one said, you could take my life, but I believe in the God of Israel who will restore me to life one day. They were looking for a better resurrection. And also they experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. This probably refers to Jeremiah who was mocked and beaten by Pashur, uh, the chief temple officer, or Eliezer whose skin was flailed in the intertestamental period for refusing to abandon the God of Israel. Some were stoned. According to tradition... Jeremiah was stoned when he went down to Egypt, and that's how he died. Others were sawn in two. That's by tradition how Isaiah met his demise, that others killed him by sawing sawing him in half. Some were killed by the sword. Uriah the prophet was killed by Jehoiakim. Others were poor, despised, wandering. This probably refers to those people who were faithful to the God of Israel in the intertestamental period when Antiochus was trying to force them to abandon their faith, and they just hid in caves and deserts and holes in the ground. All these people kept their faith, 
both in the Bible and the intestinal period. And that is the example of people who could endure great suffering. The principle for us is that God can sustain us today even as he did the heroes of faith then. He can empower us so that we can endure that kind of suffering. Now, here's the main idea for us to remember when it comes to suffering, that people of faith are not exempt when it comes to suffering. I mean, Scott Peck teaches this very important principle that life is difficult. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, he writes. One of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it has been accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Most do not fully see this truth that life is difficult. Instead, they moan, more or less incessantly, noisily or subtly, about the enormity of their problems, their burdens, their difficulties, as if life were generally easy, as as if life should be easy. They voice their belief, noisily or subtly, that their difficulties represent a unique kind of affliction that should not be and that has somehow been especially visited upon them or else upon their families, their tribe, their class, their nation, their race, or even their species, but not upon others. I know about this moaning, Scott Peck says, because I've done my share of it. You see, when I became a believer, sometimes you got the feeling that there was a joyride with Jesus, right? That everything's just going to be great. That now that I follow Jesus, everything is wonderful. There's never going to be any problems. That is absolutely not true. Life is hard. There's evil in this world, and we will have to face it. Max Lucado once said, we are not exempt from the battle. Jesus is honest about the life we're called to lead. There's no guarantee that just because we belong to him, we will go unscathed. No promise is found in Scripture that says that when you follow the king, you are exempt from the battle. Jesus promised us this. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. But fear not, I've overcome the world. The fact that we're going to have suffering and difficulties and have to face evil in this life shouldn't surprise us. But what is the great benefit of faith is it assures us one who will go through it with us. Jesus who will empower us to face that, to endure. That's what the great uh, use of power is. It's hard enough to have great victories. Imagine enduring great suffering. I have a friend whose wife was diagnosed with cancer, and it was quite advanced. And so I wrote him something that most people have never heard of. It was called a letter, (laughs) a piece of paper with ink, you know. And he wrote me a letter back. And he described all that she had to go through, the chemotherapy and the bone marrow transplant and the isolation and all the difficulties that she faced. And then after he wrote all that and all the difficulty of this evil cancer that he was dealing with and she was dealing with, he says, in all this, we are grateful that God has called us to be his representatives and that we can honor him and represent him well, trusting him for the outcome. What an amazing letter. And then he went on to quote See, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who said, God is too wise ever to be mistaken. 
and too loving ever to be unkind. When I cannot trust the when I cannot see the hand of God, I will trust the heart of God. God knows what he's doing, and he is with us to empower us through great suffering. Now this is all part of God's sovereign plan. I don't know who he will deliver with great victory and who will he will empower for great suffering. I don't know, nor do you. I mean, Corey Tenboom, she was delivered from concentration camp. She went on to write books, have a movie about her. She reached millions with the truth of Jesus. Her sister Betsy died in concentration camp, enduring great suffering and then dying. What happened? How does that how does God decide that? He alone knows. He's sovereign. He decides these things. So if we have faith, here's what we have to do. We allow God to be God. We trust and obey him regardless of the outcome, whether he delivers us with a great victory or he empowers us for great suffering. Either way, God is God, and he is going to be the one who will empower us. And beware of any teacher, and you will hear these teachers, who teach the joyride with Jesus that everything's going to be great and you're never going to be sick and God, never, oh, God will always heal and all these uh, evils in the world will be overcome because of our faith. No. If anyone says that there's something defective about faith because we're undergoing some suffering, they are mistaken. That is a false teaching. In fact, I believe that those with the greatest faith are the ones who endure suffering. It's easy to have faith and have a great victory it's to endure great suffering and be faithful. That's the amazing thing. So if we trust God in the face of evil, we may experience great victories. We may endure great suffering. But there's a third way that God's power can be released. If we trust God in the face of evil, we may, <clears throat> excuse me, we may exhibit great patience. God may give us the endurance to wait for a long time. Verses 39 and 40 speaks about old covenant patience, those who waited for the Messiah. It says, all these, that's the people of the Old Testament who exhibited faith, were approved through their faith. God approved the fact that they were waiting, but they did not receive what was promised. In their lifespan, though they were waiting for the Messiah, he did not come. It's just they were waiting. And why not? Well, because it says since God had provided something better for us, we new covenant believers, we experience the coming of the Messiah. We believe in Jesus. And now it says so that they would not be made perfect without us. They would not be complete without us. Together, we new covenant believers and old covenant believers share together in the Messiah and that kind of patience is what we need. That kind of patience, that new covenant patience, just because we have experienced the arrival of the Messiah, we now share together with those who waited for him, and we can learn this principle. This is the principle, that God can give us patience today with the Messiah because he gave those patients who were still waiting for the Messiah. See, we are waiting for the Messiah to return and establish a kingdom of righteousness where all the evil is done away with. And just as they had to wait patiently, so we have to wait patiently for that day. That's the point of this. God can give us great patience. Now, what's the problem with waiting? 
problem with waiting is we live in an instant breakfast society, don't we? Everything has to be just so fast. I got a card this week from my uh, cable internet provider. It said that I could go from 25 MB of speed, 25 megabytes, to 105 megabytes. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But I think it, it could be faster. Apparently, now I type into Google and in a moment it pops up with all the different things I need to look for. If I get 105 megabytes of speed, I will just have to think. And without even typing, Google will just flash up on my screen. That's fast. I want that kind of speed. You know, with, with, when I was a kid, my mom would make me oatmeal. When I had kids, I would make them instant oats. Right? You know, you just pour the hot water on it, mix it, eat, get out. When, I was, when my kids were teenagers, we made instant breakfast. We'd mix it up for them. Here, drink this. Get out. Now, apparently, if you want instant breakfast, it comes already pre-mixed. You just drink it because we have to be faster. I went to the store to buy peanut butter and jelly a few months ago. Now, I'm like an eight-year-old kid. I love peanut butter and jelly. As I was standing there trying to decide what to get, I saw that there were these peanut butter packets. They looked like American cheese in plastic, and jelly packets, and they came together. And you could put that on a, take it out and put it on a piece of bread, and you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because who has the time (laughs) to spread peanut butter? We want things instantly, but here's what we know from Scripture. God takes his time, because that's how he fashions his image in us. He conforms us to the image of our Messiah through time. So a marriage may not heal instantaneously. It may take time. There may not be an instantaneous, miraculous healing. It may take years of medical care, medicine, treatment. It may take years to restore a family. It may take long hours, day after day, to turn a business around. All the things that we face, all the difficulties, all the suffering, God is saying, you know, I'm not only going to help you endure, I'm going to give you the patience to wait because that's what transforms us into his image. So kind of let's review here. When we are faithful in the face of evil, when we trust God in in the face of impossible evil situations, God's power is released in and through us that's what Hebrews eleven thirty two 32 through 40 is saying. And, you know, when it is released, he may lead us to triumph. He may provide perseverance and troubles. He may give us patience over time. But in every way, God's power is released in us. So in light of that, what should we do? What should we take away? First of all, we need to recognize God's strength. He can still do miracles. Now, I have not seen miracles But I know he can do them. I've heard of them. When I pray for someone to be healed, I don't use the bailout if it is your will. Now, the reason I don't do that, I always feel like we're trying to give God an out. We don't need to do that. The point is that when we pray, he knows we're willing to accept his will. But we are pleading with him. We're asking him for a miracle. And we're trusting him that if he says no to the miracle, he knows what he's doing. 
But we need to go back to praying boldly, expressing our faith that God can indeed work on our behalf in a supernatural way. Never forget God's strength. He can still do miracles. And then secondly, respect God's sovereignty. He can allow suffering. He can do a miracle. He can allow suffering. He is in charge. He is the one that has to decide. Let's never forget that. He is the one who's in charge, and we submit to him. We praise him because he knows exactly what he's doing. And thirdly, remember God's time. He can and will act when he chooses to act. We want everything yesterday, but God wants things done right. And he knows what is best for us is to be transformed. He works on his own clock, not ours. And that's the key, because he knows the right time. Well, apparently my desire to be a superhero as a kid is genetic. Because my younger boy, he always wanted to be a superhero too. When he was, when he was five and six years old, he had uh, always had a towel around his neck. He had a Superman outfit. He had a Batman outfit. He had a Lone Ranger outfit, a Zorro outfit. He had a complete Indiana Jones getup. I had to go to Salvation Army and buy him a leather jacket, you know, he had a bullwhip. He had everything. Uh, I think we'd all like to be heroes in the face of evil. Don't you think? That if we could only do something. But as we mature, here's what we realize. We will not be able to jump or leap small, tall buildings in a single bound. We won't ever be able to use a bullwhip like Indy. We won't weave webs. We won't shoot silver bullets. That just won't happen. But here's what we can do. We can live by faith. When we experience evil, we can trust God. And when we trust God, we'll experience his power. If we trust and obey God in the face of evil, we'll be like all those heroes of faith in Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 40, with either victory or endurance or patience. God's power is greater than the power of any superhero and it can be released through us. We can become the heroes of faith. And just remember this. Real heroes live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize in our lives that we will face constant difficulties, evil, suffering in this world. But we trust you. And we thank you that you are with us through it all. Father, we ask for anyone facing evil like this now that you would deliver them with your supernatural power. Failing that, Lord, I, I pray that you would empower them to endure all the suffering that they are facing. But mostly, Lord, give us the patience so that we will trust you to act at the right time. And as we wait, that you would conform us to the image of your Son. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.